problems of sickness and pain and all that. Well, there's going to be a day we're not going to have to worry about any of that. I'm so thankful for that. Knowing that one day that the Lord will have us there in his presence. Amen. Well, it is good to be here at Outreach Baptist Church tonight. I am grateful for the opportunity to be able to stand behind the sacred desk and preach in place of Brother Jonathan tonight, and you continue praying for him as he is still not feeling good. He may be on vacation, but he's not feeling good. And he did give me permission to let you have it tonight, he said. I'm just messing with you, but uh, we are going to be preaching tonight back in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, if we want to go back there again, Acts chapter 16, and I want to look at verses 16 through 34 tonight, Lord willing. Uh, Acts 16, 16 through 34, and I know this is a, quite a bit of reading here, but uh, it shouldn't take us too long. If, if you're able to stand, if you could please stand for the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 16, uh, starting with verse uh, 16. And here the Bible says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight, Lord, we need your help so much. God, you know what we have in mind to preach, but God, we just want to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, God. If you'll guide us and lead us in what you want said and done here tonight, God, we'll give you the honor and praise and glory for it. For it's these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
Well, we picked up there a little bit uh, past the point we left off this morning. Now, we skipped those verses 11 through 15, which talked about uh, the first convert over in the Macedonia. Lydia, the Bible says, is a seller of purple. And Paul and his men, they meet Lydia there, and uh, there by the riverside, they have a little uh, worship service, and they tell them all about Jesus, and Lydia gets saved, and so does everyone in her household. And so uh, then we pick up the story here uh, as they continue witnessing there in Philippi. Verse 16, and it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Well, needless to say, anywhere you go to share the gospel, there's going to be some kind of resistance. There's going to be some kind of person there that's going to get in the mix and mingle of things. It doesn't matter where you go. You're going to run into all kinds of different people. Now, it used to be that we would claim this, uh, this area of the world to be the Bible Belt. Uh, we assumed everybody grew up like we did, going to church every time the door was open and all those things, but that's not true anymore. People, There's people today that live in Knoxville, Tennessee, has never darkened the door of a church. They don't know anything about the gospel, don't know about Jesus Christ, don't know about this Bible, don't know about Outreach Baptist Church. There's people probably living right here in this, this community that you live in that has never darkened the door of a church or even care to. But you'll go out and witness the people and you'll find all kinds of folks. I've ran into some people. We used to go knock on every door in the community around Babley Road and, and all the area around there. We would go every weekend and, and talk to people. And boy, you would just be amazed at the different kind of people that live right there in their own neighborhoods. Uh, but here they meet up with this young lady. She's demon-possessed. The Bible says she had a spirit of divination. That word divination is the same word we get the word python from. Uh, and so that that in Greek mythology, the python was this serpent which uh, had these powers, according to them, and uh, he was on the oracle at Mount Parnassus. And python was no, known for predicting future events. And they say that uh, the Greek god Apollo slew python and took his powers. And so they had the spirit of, of python, and he was sometimes called, I th- believe it was Pythias Apollos, uh, python Apollos. And so this damsel is said to have that same type of spirit, the spirit of python or the spirit of divination. And so in other words, it was assumed that she had some kind of power to predict the future, that she could be kind of like a modern-day fortune teller, as we would think of someone like that, a soothsayer, someone that could come up and read your palm maybe or, or some of that other nonsense that people do. And let me say this today. If you're putting your trust in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ and his holy word to know about the future or the present or even the past, then you're looking in the wrong place. Friends, there is nothing in all that, that, that crazy stuff. The, 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 the zodiacs and, and the stars and the palm reading and all those, the horoscopes. Get out of that stuff. That stuff is demonic. That stuff's evil. And God has nothing to do with any of those things. And so this is one of those people. She's possessed, according to the Bible. She has a spirit of divination. And verse 17, the Bible says the same followed Paul and us. And where it says and us, remember the gospel or the writer of the book of Acts is Luke. And so he's telling it from a firsthand story. It says they followed, she followed us, uh, followed Paul and us and cried saying, These men are the servants of the most high God, which show unto us the way of salvation. <laughs> Well, look, it didn't take a rocket scientist to know that these men were preaching the gospel. I mean, that's what they came in there telling everybody. That's what we're here for. 
We're coming to preach the gospel. So it was, they didn't need a fortune teller to, to say what these, these men were doing. They'd made it very plain. But she seems to want to come out in front of them everywhere they go, announcing that they're coming. And notice she is actually saying they're servants of the Most High God. It doesn't mean she believes in the Most High God. But she's just doing this. And remember, this spirit that's causing her to do this is demonic. It's a, it's a spirit of divination. It's a demonic spirit. And so this is not helping the Lord's cause. This is not a help to the apostles by her announcing their way. In fact, it's hindering them. It's making their way harder for them because people are coming out to see her and to listen to her and to get mixed up in all that garbage she's in. They could care less about Paul and Silas and what they're doing back there. They want to pay attention to this young lady that's going around announcing they're coming. And so it just it gets too much for them. Uh, you know, it's, it's very similar to how uh, the demoniac approached Jesus. When Jesus came there and that demoniac was sitting there, and, and the Bible says in Mark 5 and 7, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And so we see a lot of similarities here. Somebody that's demon-possessed, yes, they will, they will announce the name of Jesus. They, they recognize Jesus. The devils believe that there's Jesus is real, and they tremble. The Bible tells us that they tremble. And so we know that they understand what these men are doing, but she's hindering them. And so look at verse 18. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. So Paul put up with this as, as far as he could. Uh, no doubt he was being very long-suffering toward her. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, it said she did it for many days. Well, this has caused him a lot of grief. It's just it's making it almost impossible for him to go about and do what he needs to do because she's interrupting things. So he commands the evil spirit. Notice he doesn't take his frustration out on the girl. His frustration is out on the demonic spirit, the, the demon here. And so he, had, he commands the demon to come out. Notice the Bible said he came out the same hour. So Paul's frustration and his attention was on that demonic spirit that had taken over that girl, not the girl herself. He knew she was possessed. Verse 19, and when her master saw that the hope of their gain was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace and the rulers and brought them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. <laughs> Listen, if you want to get somebody all riled up, affect their bottom line. Get mixed up in their money in their, their business, get mixed up in their livelihood. These men have been affected now. They've been using this girl. She's a slave. They've been using her uh, with this demonic spirit to go out and make all these claims, you know, those uh, so-called future events and things. So they're charging people to come up to her and her to tell them their future or, or whatever it was in the case. And so it says now that they realize that that demon's gone and now they know they're not going to be able to use this girl. It's going to drop their bank account. They're in trouble here. They got to have something done. So what are they going to do? They're going to take out their frustrations on Paul and Luke and Silas and those men that were there preaching the gospel. So what do they do? The Bible says they caught them. I don't believe they were running from them, but they caught them 
and drug them over to the Roman rulers, the magistrates or Roman soldiers who, who ruled over the city to keep law and order. And so they took them to them and said, these men are, you know, they're, they're disrupting things. They're doing things that's unlawful under Roman law. And we're not even supposed to listen to these types of things. And so they, they arrest them. And uh, look at verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Look, it turned into a lynch mob. That, that's what this is. I mean, all these men had to do was come out and start a big ruckus. And by the way, if you want to start a ruckus, go out in a crowd of people and just start yelling something. Everybody will go crazy. That's all you got to do. Go to, to, the, to Market Square in downtown Knoxville when it's the most crowded and just yell out something crazy and everybody's going to join in. Everybody will go nuts. And so uh, that's what's happened here. They are coming and these magistrates, these Roman soldiers, have actually ripped the clothes off of Paul and Silas and... Uh, They've got them out there openly naked and beating them. They didn't ask them if they were Roman citizens, <laughs> which they were supposed to do by law because Fitz found out they did this to these men. They're in trouble. But regardless, that's what they did. They started beating them. Now, it says that they had laid many stripes on them. Now, the Jews were only allowed to give up to 40 stripes. They usually gave 39 and saved one so that they didn't go over the number 40. These are not Jews that's doing this beating. They're Romans. There is no such law for the Romans to observe. They're going to beat and beat and beat and beat until the men can't stand up. And so they're beating them uh, just onslaught with it. And so that may be what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three when he said in stripes above measure. So he's, he's been really been beaten. It says they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now notice it keeps saying they, they're charging the jailer, verse 23, charging the jailer to keep him safely. And, and then verse 24, he received such a charge. So this is a commandment from these magistrates to this jailer. You are responsible for these men. Their lives are in your hands. We charge you to take care of them. This is a big deal. This is not just your average everyday prisoner coming in, maybe a drunk they picked up and they're putting him in the tank. No, this is something big. And they're saying, we're charging you over these men. You've got to take care of them. And, and, and so he's got to watch over their, their livelihood and their well-being. And so what does he do? He puts them down as far down in the prison as he can get them, where the rapists and the murderers and all the baddest of the bad go. And that's where Paul and Silas end up. And they're down there in the bottom of that prison. And not only that, but they've bound their feet in the stocks. So they're laying there, uh, probably on their backs, their feet in those stocks, can't move. And uh, it's, it's miserable. But look at verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. <laughs> This has always been one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. I, I love thinking about this scene and how, what it would look like to be there in that prison as Paul and Silas was laying down in the bottom of that nasty, stinking, awful prison and bound up where any other man would be screaming out of his mind, wanting out, doing everything he could, probably trying to cut his own leg off to get out of the stocks. Paul and Silas start praying. And not only are they praying, but they start singing. Have you ever wondered what they sang? 
I, I can't. I, I mean, we have no idea what it could have been. It could have been one of the psalms that could have been singing, or, or or whatever it might have been, you know. But I like to think of them singing something like "Amazing Grace." How sweet the sound. Can you imagine down there at midnight in the bottom of that nasty prison with all those awful hardened criminals that are laying down there praying and singing praises to God? What a difference that must have made to everyone's life that was down in that prison. Oh my goodness, friends. I don't know if, if I would have been as good as they were. I might have been down there crying and begging for mama to come and find me. I don't know. But uh, listen, that's the way it ought to be. Christians ought to have some kind of effect on the world around them. The loss that's around us, there ought to be some kind of effect from a Christian. There ought to be a difference. They ought to see a light in us. They ought to hear something different coming out of our mouth than what comes out of the world. We ought not talk like the world or act like the world or even look like the world. We should be totally separated. The Bible says, come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord. Here they are, they're separate. And people have taken a notice. These prisoners have noticed them. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. Look, the Lord heard their prayers and the Lord blessed them and for their faithfulness, He rewards them with this powerful earthquake. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's just shaking off the hinges there and their chains come off and the stocks and everything just loosens up and everyone at that point in time is a free man. All those hardened criminals down there in the bottom of that pit could have crawled out of there and ran as fast as they could. They had the opportunity. Verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Now, remember back there, what was it, verses 23 and 24, I said to take notice that they charged him. He were charging him with these prisoners. In other words, his life is on the line. If these prisoners escape, his life is on the line. And, and that's, that was Roman law. If you were in charge of these prisoners and you allow them to escape, well, friend, your head is the next one to roll. And he knows that. And so what's he going to do? He's going to commit suicide. Now, this was nothing strange in that culture. In fact, uh, Romans and Greeks, both, uh, suicide was very common among them. You may remember people like Nero, Mark Anthony, and Cleopatra. They all committed suicide uh, in times of great distress or trouble, or if they knew they were going to be killed or, or sentenced or something, they would take their own life, whether it be by poison or a dagger or have someone do it. Whatever it was, jump off a building, I don't know, but... Uh, there was a lot of that that went on. Well, this this Roman or this uh, jailer here, uh, he's just like that, and so he assumes he's going to be killed because of this. He'll just go ahead and and do it in his own own way. He'll just kill himself. So he pulls out his his dagger there, and uh, he's ready to kill himself. But apparently, he's in view of Paul as and Silas that's down there. And look at verse uh, twenty eight. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. So Paul can see him. I don't know if he sees him by the moonlight. Maybe the jailer walked out of his house. He's going toward the prison. He's got the sword. He thinks they're all gone, so he's ready to kill himself. And Paul says, Stop! Stop! Nobody's left. We're all here. And listen, this is a miracle in itself that these men, these criminals would have remained there. The difference was they felt the power of God in that prison. 
They understood this was supernatural. This is nothing like they'd ever seen before. They felt that prison shake. They knew their, their chains had fallen off. They wasn't going anywhere. They were there under the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul stops him. Verse 29. Then he called for a light. That's the jailer. The jailer called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Well, the jailer can't believe his ears. So he calls for a light. Could have been a lantern or a torch, whatever it was. He didn't have a lighter in his pocket. But he calls for this light and he goes into the prison to see with his own eyes. You mean to tell me that this prison door is open and nobody escaped? Nobody left? They're all in there? He, he wants to see it for himself. And so he's immediately struck with awe and wonder at the presence of God in that prison. And he falls down on his face in front of these two men. Now, he's not worshiping Paul and Silas. He is overwhelmed. The Spirit of God is so thick in that prison and so real in that prison. All he can do is fall down, prostrate on the ground in front of them. And Friends, that's what you're going to do. If you ever come in the presence of God, you're going to hit the ground. You're not going to be like that little song that says, I'm going to dance for you, Jesus. No, you're going to fall down on your face in front of Jesus. That's what you're going to do. Because his power, he's awesome. Everything about him, he's righteous and holy. He's so different from us. But if you stood before him, you would do like everybody in the Bible did. They fell down on their face as if dead. John the Revelator, there in the book of Revelations, when he came in the presence of the Lord, he fell down on his face as if he was dead. Verse 30. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved. <laughs> Look, I want you to understand something very important here. This Philippian jailer, he was convicted of his sins. But that wasn't the saving thing of it. That's not what saved him, being convicted. He probably was very remorseful for all the terrible things he's done. These Roman jailers, they were some bad guys. I mean, to be in charge of prisons like that, you're, you're probably the meanest of the mean. And he was probably, you know, remorseful for all that stuff and probably regretted what he'd done and felt bad about it, but that's not what saved him. He was fearful in the presence of God and obviously he fell down in front of Paul and Silas and, and, uh, you know, he needed to be saved. He understood that, but that's not what saved him. He was convicted that he needed to be saved, but he didn't know how. Do you know there's people right here in Knoxville, Tennessee, need to be saved. They don't know how. They don't understand. I was talking this morning. I talked to a man yesterday about his salvation and showed him all the things in the Bible that talks about salvation and took him down the Romans road and everything and, and he understood all that. And, but, but there's people today that has never had anybody come to them and say, let me show you what the Bible says of how you can be saved. There's a lot of people today that's done a lot of bad things and they understand that. But until the Father draws them, until the Holy Spirit convicts their heart that they are a lost sinner, they'll never come to Jesus. But you know what? It takes people like us, where the Lord says to go out into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. It takes people like us to confront them. That's why we're to be witnesses in this world. That's why the Bible says that we are to be light in the world of darkness. And so when the light enters the darkness, and that darkness starts trying to comprehend the light, and I know it did not when Jesus came, and they rejected him. But listen, uh, we as Christians, you as church members, when you are out in the world and community or wherever you may be, you should be the light of Jesus Christ. 
And that in itself helps draw people. The Holy Spirit's the one who draws. But it's through the things that we do for the Lord that people are drawn to Jesus. Verse 31, and they said, this is their answer to him. He asked, what, what can I do? What must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Now make sure you pay very close attention to verse 32 where it says, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord. So yes, he needs to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but he can't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ until he hears the word of the Lord. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? That's what the Bible says. So for this man to be saved, he has to understand and know about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he must believe on him as Savior. That's what saves him. And so their immediate reply to his question that he needed to believe on the Lord Jesus. And some people stop right there and they'll say, well, I can go and tell the, the w- most wicked sinner in the world, you know, that, that needs to be saved. Well, all you got to do is believe in the Lord Jesus. And they'll say, oh, okay, I believe in the Lord Jesus. Then. It doesn't work that way. They must understand who the Lord Jesus is. You can't just call on someone who you've not heard. It makes absolutely no sense. And so what did they do? The Bible says... They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. So him and everybody in his house heard the preaching of Paul and Silas as they went through the word of God and said, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus done. Here's the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection. Here he hung on the cross. Here he was buried in the tomb. Here he arose in three days. And then he sits on the right hand of the Father to make intercession for you. And through all this teaching of the Bible that, that Paul can give him. Now I know they didn't have the New Testament. Paul hadn't written it at that point. He can take him all the way back to the Old Testament and say, right here's where God prophesied a Messiah. Right here's where he talks about the one that's going to come to save you from your sin. Well, you know what? That man has already came. And then they can explain. Do you remember that Jesus of Nazareth that, the, that they hung on a, on a cross and killed? That was your Messiah. That was the one that came to save the world. And through all the teaching of the Bible, they can understand who Jesus was and believe on him and be saved. And so... There was much more said to the jailer and his family than Luke gives us details for. It just says they spake unto him the word of the Lord. This would cover everything they needed to know in order to be saved. And that would include things such as repentance of sin, faith toward a Savior for salvation, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, all those things. Now, sometime during the the explanation by Paul and, and, and the other men there, sometime in all that, the Philippian jailer and his family believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and received him. The Bible says we receive him as our Savior. They they received him as their Savior because they believed in him. That means they believed in who he was and what he did and what he's doing for them and what he could do for them. They believed all that. And so they got saved the same way men and women get saved this very day, the same exact way. Look at verse 33. Here we see the change. And he took them, the jailer, took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. (laughs) Look, their salvation was immediately followed up with believer's baptism. Believer's baptism does not save you. It's a follow-up to your salvation. Salvation is salvation. And then when we get 
down in the water. We get buried down in that watery grave. That is a symbol. That's a sign of us as we come from being that old sinner into that new man. It's, it's all a sign. Sal, uh, baptism does not save, but it is part. It follows up to your salvation. And that's exactly what they have done right here. And this is further proof that uh, baptism doesn't play a part in your salvation. It's a follow-up. So how can we tell? Well, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. This once cruel Roman, Roman jailer who wanted to cast people down the bottom of the prison to make them suffer, now he is trying to take their suffering away. Do you see the changed man? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Right here, this man has become a new man. Instead of wanting to torture them, he wants to comfort them. And so he starts washing those stripes that they had beat on their backs. And no doubt they were deep lacerations, probably bleeding, scabbed over and everything else. And he says, I want to take care of you. And so he's a changed man as he washes them on their back. Look, he didn't do that before, before he was saved. He, he never would have dreamed of that. Then after he was saved and became the new man, he was baptized along with the rest of the family. What a day that must have been for that family. Can you imagine a whole family of people, a whole household of people getting saved at the same day, at the same time, all going down, getting baptized together? Boy, you think about that for years, you know it. You can have a yearly, a yearly reunion, uh, remembering that moment in, in your life. What a, what a thing. I want you to realize something in this story. All this came about because of one thing. We talked about it this morning. What was that one thing that God wants from us above everything? Above our happiness, above our, our health, our good health, above anything else, God wants our obedience. And because the obedience of the Apostle Paul by leaving us, he saw that vision in the night, but that man of Macedonia, as he left there and he went to preach the gospel into Macedonia, in which Philippi is in, and we see what a difference it made because of someone being obedient. The simple obedience of Christians is what God wants from us. Despite the circumstances, these men stayed faithful to God. Despite being cast down in the prison, beaten, they stayed faithful to the Lord. Remember what they did down there in that jail as they prayed and they sang praises to God. How many of us today can say that in our times of turmoil and trouble? Do we rely upon the Lord Jesus? Oh, yes, sir. That's what we have to do. We don't have any other outlet. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to relationships or whatever it may be. We turn to the Lord Jesus. He's our hope. He's our rock. He's our high tower. He's the one that can help us. All oh, distrust in him. Obey him. We sung that song, trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Can we remember that tonight? Can you leave this service tonight wanting to trust and obey the Lord Jesus? Let's see if we can make a difference in this world of darkness. Just be a, a, a light out there, a, a light shining bright. We sung that song about it. Amen. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight thanking you for the message Lord, it's helped me. Lord, if it's not helped anybody else, it's helped me. Thank you so much, Lord. God, I'm praying that you help each one of us in here tonight that's listening. 
God, we just pray that you instill within our hearts the need for obedience, Lord, and to, to be a shining light out in this world of darkness. God, would we do that? Would you allow the people of Outreach Baptist Church to be exactly what their name says, to outreach to those that are in need, God, to, to show them the way unto the Lord. Lord, to tell them about the gospel. Lord, would you help them with it? God, help us tonight. We're just weak. We're just flesh. Lord, you know us. We're just men and women. But God, through you, all things are possible. Help us with it, Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. amen. I do appreciate you all allowing me to come out and preach uh, while Brother Jonathan's been gone. Uh, that is a, a high honor for me. Uh, you don't just let anybody stand behind your pulpit. You never know what they're going to say. And I appreciate uh, Brother Johnson's trust and, uh, in me to be able to do this. I would never do anything to hurt that, that young man. I love him. And I know you love him. He loves you. Thank you.